In August 2023, Zoo Digital told investors about a fourth successive year of double-digit revenue growth, margin improvement, and record pre-tax profitability. To find out more about the company, I'm joined by Chief Executive Stuart Green and Phil Blundell, the Chief Financial Officer. So Stuart, before we put those numbers into context, what is it that the company does? Well, we're a provider to the entertainment industry. We provide services to large streaming companies and other organizations that create content such as feature films and TV series. And the work that we do is to take those programs once they're finished and do everything that's necessary so that they can be delivered primarily through streaming services to consumers. And that entails um, some technical things to make sure that they work properly, you know, they play smoothly and so on. There are no glitches. Uh, but also, importantly, it involves adapting them into different languages, which of course you do using subtitles and by dubbing the soundtrack. And we do that for you know, 80 languages. So in terms of the customer base, um, according to a very well-known radio programme this morning, it was talking about Hollywood strikes and in an interview with BAFTA, um, I wasn't aware that these strikes are causing the industry potentially hundreds of millions of dollars daily. So how is that impacting your business model? Yes, it's a, it's a real, uh, these strikes are a real disruption to the US, uh, particularly the US industry. Um, in May, the screenwriters came out on strike and they were joined a couple of weeks ago or so by the actors. And what that means is that it's pretty much all production of new programs out of the US is on hold. And, and of course, a lot of the work that we do is to take finished programs, and mostly new original TV series and, and, and films, and do the work to get those programs onto the streaming services. So it certainly impacts us, but it has very wide repercussions right across the industry. Um, as I say, it's just the US um, uh, it's just the US unions that have, uh, have taken this action. So productions are still continuing elsewhere, but it's even though we see more and more um, non-English original programs on our, on our screens through, uh, through streaming services and, and elsewhere, um, it's still the case that for, certainly for English speaking audiences, the majority of the content comes from English speaking countries, particularly from the US. So it has a very wide um, implication across, right, across the, right across the industry. And, um, and it is um, painful for us right now, because as I say, the supply of new programs coming to us that we would normally work on uh, has come to a temporary halt, but it is, it is temporary and it, and it will resume um, once these uh, differences have been resolved. So is that what you meant in your statement in today's regulatory statement? There was a very pointed message about the frustration of disruption. Are you talking about what's going on in Hollywood? And you know, what, what did you mean? Surely you are a disruptor and disruption is a good thing. That's, it's an that's an interesting question. Yes, that's, that is true. And we are a disruptor because we're a tech enabled business. And the way we do what we do is very different from the way in which others in our industry uh, do it. We have a large R&D team and we produce proprietary software that makes us very efficient and very, uh, very uh, scalable um, in, in what we do. But the, <clears throat> the disruption in the industry is actually coming from two places. The strikes, which we've already discussed, but also um, this is a kind of pivotal time for streaming services. Um, in, in 2022, 
2022 marked the first time when in the US, consumers were watching more content through streaming than they were through linear TV. And that's, you know, that's just a continuation of a trend that's been ongoing for a while and will continue. And, and of course, with it comes some challenges for media companies because linear TV um, is, uh, has been a huge source of revenue and cash, um, both in the form of, um, uh, you know, of, of through advertising uh, routes and through licensing uh, income and just through the you know the fees that are paid by for example cable operators to, to, to content owners and so on so with that falling away um, it is being replaced by streaming yet um, for most of these organizations that are offering direct-to-consumer streaming platforms they're not yet profitable and they need to get to the point of profitability sooner with everything else that's going in the, uh, on in the world um, they are all looking to accelerate that route to profitability and that's given rise to actually some more disruption in the form of reorganizations and cost cutting that's taken place within our customer organizations and, and that again has the effect of uh, of delaying work and postponing projects and we've seen um, quite a lot of that actually that commenced in February of this year and, and is still ongoing. So, so yes, yeah, so, so there's actually quite a lot of disruption in the broader streaming industry because of the need to transition to business models that make sense in this new world of streaming compared with linear TV of, of, of the past. And, and in this regard, as these things change, as a disruptor ourselves, um, Zoo actually is in prime position to be able to capitalize on new opportunities once, once we, we get through to the other side of this uh, the short-term disruption. Okay, and you did describe that short-term disruption as painful. So, Phil, are we going to see elements of that pain transition into the numbers? Or are you hopeful that we could, in a year's time, be talking about a fifth successive year of double-digit growth? Um, I think it's pretty unlikely that we will uh, grow the business in, in FY24. Uh, just for those who don't know us, our, our year end is March. So we're nearly halfway through that, that, that financial year. Uh, what what uh, investors will see though, is that the second half will show that uh, we are significantly up on the second half of FY23 and therefore the trend is, is resuming. So, so the way to look at it is we've had sort of the six months of, of pain, uh, but we'll come out of it stronger uh, and we'll resume our, our double digit growth. Phil, I'm just wondering though, whether the trend of the company is going to be one of acquisition because in April you had an oversubscribed placing, well done. You raised 12 and a half million pounds gross to fund the acquisition of a partner company in Japan. But how are those discussions going? And in the meantime, what is that money doing? Is it in a high interest account? Uh, yes, so, so two points. The first one is that we've we finished uh, last year, March 23, with $12 million in the bank anyway, we have no debt. So, so this disruption at the moment, we're able to fund from that, that pot of money. The money we raised, uh, we've separated. It is in a, well, high interest accounts, one way of putting it, uh, but it is, <laughs> it is earning us interest. Uh, the discussions are, are going well. Uh, we did say it wouldn't close until September anyway. 
Um, but the, the added uncertainty has meant that we have gone back to the target company and said, well, given the current market conditions, actually it's only fair we pay less. Uh, and they are looking into that and whether they are prepared to accept a lower price for the business because they're hurting just as much as, as the rest of us. Is that a deal breaker though, if they don't accept your lower offer? Because that, that was quite a political move you made there. Mm -hmm. uh, well, that, that offer was made a few weeks ago and they haven't uh, rejected it. But, um, you know, Japan is a, is a market that moves slowly um, and the dialogue is still going on. We have completed the legal documents and, and parked them so that we're, we're ready to uh, close when A, they, uh, they agree to a, a revised price, which I'm sure they will, uh, and B, we can see the, the light at the end of the tunnel in terms of the disruption. So uh, what's so, this space? Okay, so Japan is proceeding with great thoughtfulness. So what is the acquisition strategy? then Stuart, is, is, is it the, that region that you're targeting? Is that where the growth will come from? It's, it's a good question. And it's actually uh, something that um, investors are a little bit curious about in the way in which we're operating, because we have essentially cloud-based software that we've developed. That means that in theory, we don't need to have physical offices in, in locations around the world because we can interact with people over the internet using, you know, very effectively using our platforms. But the reality is that there are some countries where for strategic reasons, it makes sense to have a point of presence and Japan is certainly one of those locations. Uh, that arises either because uh, a particular country or region is an important source of original programming um, or and or because that particular country is a high consumer of, of, of premium entertainment content. So actually, Japan falls into both of those categories. Um, um, I mean, you may know that um, Japan actually is the, um, is the source of the greatest proportion of content, non-English content that's consumed on Netflix, for example. Um, primarily due to anime, which is obviously a, a very specific and, and popular popular genre. So, so it's an important, Japan is an important market for sourcing uh, original programming, but also it is the second largest territory in Asia um, after China, um, you know, which is clearly important to, to our customers and therefore, you know, they need to, you know, we need to, need to align ourselves with, with their needs and make sure that we can offer them, you know, excellent services in Japanese. Um, looking at the world uh, you know, more widely, again, there are certain other countries that have similar, where there's a similar strategic rationale to, to invest ourselves as, as in the case of Japan. Um, but generally having, uh, having a point of presence in certain regions puts us physically close to the talent that we need to do what we do, because um, a huge part of the work that we perform on behalf of our customers is actually fulfilled using freelancers. These freelancers are very specialist translators and they're also actors and they are, um, uh, they are directors and, and, and various, other, uh, various other skill sets. So we engage with them on a freelance basis, so we only pay them for the projects um, that, that they work on for us. So having points of presence around the world 
put businesses in a position where we can interact with those people in, in the same languages and in the same time zone. And consequently, we do have a program of uh, establishing in key locations uh, a point of presence for Zoo um, around the world. So finally, gentlemen, when you look at your share price performance, what do you think is the trigger? Is it market sentiment, regulatory statements such as today's, your communication strategy overall, sectoral macroeconomic trends or technical analysis? Do you want to say that one? <laughs> yes. I mean, we're obviously small caps are in a bear market. So any sort of hint of weakness is, is punished quite severely. Um, so I think that certainly weighed on Zoo. Um, you know, the, the, the forecasts in the market are lower than they were six months ago. Um, but uh, personally, we feel that that's been overdone. And it's time for a correction. But uh, today's uh, statement was was one that was was joyful. And um, although you you acknowledge that this frustration, hopefully, um, there will be a solution where the industry is concerned. Stuart Green, Chief Executive Phil Blundell, the Chief Financial Officer of Zoo Digital. Thank you very much indeed. Thank, Thank you. you. This podcast was brought to you by Master Investor. For more investment and economics analysis, please visit masterinvestor.co.uk.